starting in verse 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. You may be seated. Let's pray again. Lord, it is, it is amazing that you would look on Christ and pardon me. Father, thank you for being a just God and yet a loving God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can rest in him today. Lord, I ask that you, by your spirit, would, would speak to your people. Lord, thank you for your word, which is life to us, God. Let your word be the double-edged sword that you created it to be, uh, piercing even down to the heart level, God, to, to discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, God. Lord, we are so easily self-deceived, God. Please uh, have your way among us today, Lord. Let the kingdom of Christ be exalted in our midst, God. Thank you so much that we can gather today under the banner of your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it is a joy to get to share God's Word with you this morning. Um, We've been walking through the book of Genesis, and if there's something that is evident as we're reading the book of Genesis, it's this. There are some really messed up relationships going on in the world. Um, It starts in uh, the Garden of Eden, beautiful scene. Very quickly after they rebel against God and are cast out of the garden, that we see some really dark things. Their, their first two boys, Cain and Abel, you know, potentially best friends, potentially allies, but they turn out to be bitter enemies. And we very quickly see things move from bad to worse as the jealousy in Cain leads to an act of, of violence and murder. Uh, against his own brother within within their own very family um, fast forward we we see the world filled with violence 
and wickedness, so much so that God says, I'm, I'm sorry that I created mankind. And he, he chooses Noah, and he washes the world clean with a global flood, starting out with a new family. Surely this is going to start everything afresh and new, but very quickly, even within Noah's family, we see a lot of dysfunction. We see a lot of brokenness, and, and, and Noah's sons are scattered. And very quickly, again, human, the human heart is wicked, and the, the people of the earth gather together in rebellion against God, and so he scatters them throughout the world. But God's got a plan. God's got a plan to rescue humanity and redeem the world. And he chooses a man whose name was Abram in, in, in the north country of Haran. And he takes Abraham and he calls him to himself and he says, follow me, go to the land I'm going to show you down south and, and I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless everyone who blesses you and everyone who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the nations will be blessed. And so he promises him that and he says, I'm going to give you this special land uh, down south. So so we see God miraculously work and, and give Abraham and Sarah a child named Isaac. And Isaac grows up and he gets married and his wife is named Rebecca and she has twins inside of her belly. And, and we read in the story that even inside of Rebecca's womb, these twins, they were dysfunctional. They were having some warfare going on. And so um, the story just seems to be a, a downward spiral, bad to worse, of dysfunctional relationships. And I don't know about you, you guys, but as I've experienced life these you know, 40, 41 years, I have seen a lot of dysfunctional relationships. This seems to be very normal on the earth. In fact... Um, uh, some of my earliest memories are uh, growing up in Great Falls, Montana, and my grandmother had escaped or tried to escape from her husband at the age of around, I would guess around 18 or 20. No, she was probably a little bit older, but she had had my dad when she was about 16. Um, and and my, my grandfather, Grandpa Bob, was an alcoholic and abusive husband and, and father. And she ran away from him, but he, he, he followed her. And he, he arrived in Great Falls, Montana. And so I grew up knowing Grandma Fran at this house and Grand, Grandpa Bob in a, in, a, in a trailer very close to the nearest bar. And uh, some of my first memories of the smell of alcohol were on his breath. And I... I always felt this tension, and I knew my dad wasn't sharing a lot of the stories because he grew up seeing uh, his father um, being an abusive alcoholic and absentee father in his life. And, and that wound went really deep on, into my dad's life. So the world is full of broken relationships. And, and today, uh, the good news for us is that God's grace in Christ towards us gives us confidence in pursuit of reconciliation. I'll say that again. God's grace towards us in Christ gives us confidence in our pursuit of reconciliation. We meet 
Jacob and Esau, and they have been at war in the womb of their mother. And in fact, the mother hears from God, and God says to her, you know what, you're going to have these boys. The younger twin is going to rule over the older twin. So a prophetic word from God. And so they're born, and we see in their, in their household, there's this dysfunction. The father favors the older son, Esau, who's a, a man's man, a brute of a man, pretty, pretty uh, crass and kind of stubborn and emotional. And he's the guy who goes out and hunts. And Jacob becomes his mother's favorite, stays at home. He's, he's more of a, a kind of a civilized young man. And, uh, and then Jacob is a schemer. He is, we've seen him deceive his brother, trick him into getting his birthright. Typically, in the Middle Eastern context, the older son, when the father dies, receives the inheritance of the estate, and he takes the father's place as the ruler of the household and the estate. But Jacob sold, uh, got his older brother to sell it to him for a bowl of stew. And, and then later on, we, he went to his father and, and dressed like his brother while his father was, was blind and old. And he went and he stole his blessing. And, and here's the blessing that his father said to him in, in chapter 27, verse 29. Uh, Isaac said to his, his son, he said, Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. So he receives this this Abrahamic blessing through his father by deceit. He's tricked his dad. Well, Esau was not happy about it, as we've already read. Uh, in verse 36, Esau says this to his dad after finding out that he, he missed out on the blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? His dad gave him a lesser blessing later on. And then uh, later on, uh, down in, in verse 41, we find out uh, what Esau's really thinking. It says that Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So Esau has been wronged twice, he feels, by his brother and he's going to murder his brother as soon as his father passes away. Pretty dysfunctional. Pretty dysfunctional. And so Jacob runs away, and we saw the story of how he's, he's only got the clothes on his back and his, his staff, and he, he meets God in his journey northward. He's going north back, back to his relative's house, 400 miles north, all by himself, and he has a vision while he's sleeping of God himself coming to him. And God... God extends the blessing of Abraham to, to Isaac, this scheming, conniving, really kind of a weaselly character in the Bible, and God gives him this blessing. And, 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 and he spends 20 years with his uncle Laban, and we've learned all about those events, and 20 years later, and he's got 11 sons later, God comes to him and he says, I, uh, Jacob, I want you to go back to the land that I gave you, that I told you I want you to go back to your homeland. And so he does. He picks up and he leaves Laban. It's been 20 years, but he knows he's going to have to face Esau. 
And like we learned the last few weeks, he runs away from Laban, and then he has, God gives him favor, and he, he, he successfully escapes from his uncle Laban. And then last week, we came to the place where he meets with God once again. And, and today we're going to be talking about that meeting with God and his reconciliation with his brother Esau. And we're going to be, I'm going to be talking about three different things that led to this reconciliation with Esau. First, Jacob feared the Lord. So the fear of the Lord, we're going to talk about that as it relates to re- re- reconciliation. We're going to talk about genuine repentance and genuine forgiveness. So the fear of the Lord, genuine repentance, and genuine forgiveness. Um, the fear of the Lord. So uh, chapter 21, or 30, chapter 32, verse 7, we read this last week, but Jacob is terrified. He is totally freaked out about the fact that he's going to have to meet Esau. He's heard there's 400 men with Esau to meet him on the way back home. And he knows Esau has a vendetta, a, a vendetta against him. And so what does he say to God? In verse 7 of chapter 32, he says this. He says, um, it says that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, the flocks and the herds, into two camps. He sends them ahead. Verse 9, he says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Yahweh, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with, and the, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, uh, I don't know if you've, you've ever heard this. There's a saying that says there, there are no atheists in a, in a, in a, in a trench, in, in a warfare. You know, soldiers, when they're at, at their very last moment of desperation. There's not a lot of atheists out there. A lot of them are praying out to whatever deity or God they know of. And this seems to be the case here is where he is, he is at, at that point of total empty-handed helplessness, and he, he's depending on God and on the promises of God. And so he cries out to God, and he knows he's, he's not merited God's good favor. <laughs> he has received grace from God, God blessed him before he had done anything really good. Um, and, and then God, after, after Jacob has sent all, the, all of his servants and everybody over the river, he's, he's all by himself once again, and God meets him and, in the form of a man and wrestles with him, which is just kind of a crazy story. <laughs> like, this is not what I would have expected in the Bible. And, 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 and you know, he asks for a blessing from the, the man that he's wrestling with. He knows the person he's wrestling with is greater than him. And the person that he's wrestling with wounds him very easily. And he renames Jacob. Jacob is no longer called the schemer and the deceiver, but called Israel, the one who strives with God and man. 
and succeeds. So I would, I would argue that Jacob here encounters God in a powerful way and it transforms him because he now really fears Yahweh. He really fears the Lord. And so he's able to go and face Esau knowing that I just had this encounter with the living God and I survived. He says, I saw, I saw God face to face and I, I lived to tell the story. And, and one of the signs that something seems to have changed is uh, in chapter 33, um, he's limping, of course, as he crosses the river. But he, he makes an interesting change here um, in verse three, 2 and 3. He says that he, he, was, he seems to have been pushing everyone in front of him so that he could escape uh, after what happens, if he sees what Esau does, if he attacks. But instead, he decides to go in front of his, his wives and his children. So it seems that there's been some, some sort of bravery stirred in him as a result of his encounter with God. So genuine, I'd say genuine reconciliation starts with the fear of the Lord. Recognizing God above all other things is most terrifying <laughs> and is, is strong enough to hold us in his promises. Uh, secondly, um, there are some signs of genuine repentance we see in Jacob. Um, he, he uses humble words, and Jacob talked about this last week during, ser- her, during his sermon. He sends out his servants bringing all these gifts to his brother, and time after time he tells them, call Esau, my brother, Lord. Call him Lord. Call him Master. Now he's not calling him, he's not calling him Yahweh. He's not calling him the Lord of the universe. He's calling him, you are my Master. I'm coming to you in submission. So those words are important. Our words when we pursue repentance are very important. Um, also says that he's looking for favor in his brother's eyes. He wants to see his brother's face change from hard to soft before him. Um, another thing he does is some, some humble body language. Now, uh, this is very strange for us in our context. We don't do a lot of bowing in America. It's not really our thing. Uh, but in many other cultures and historically, bowing down was a sign, a physical uh, representation of your communicating to the person you're bowing to, you are my superior and I'm putting myself at a vulnerable position before you. You have the right to do whatever you want with me. Uh, we, we lived in Asia for about 14 years and actually when we met everyone, bowing down was a very normal thing to do just as a, a sign of respect, mutual respect. And um, in Thailand, at least, depending on your position with the other person, you would put your hands lower or higher. So if you're going to call someone a king, you're going to go like this when you're bowing to them. But down here, it's just like we're kind of peers. We're together. We're on the same level. And so Jacob, in humility, he comes to his brother. He doesn't bow just one time. He bows seven times. That's, that's, that's saying, I'm completely at your service. I am submitting to you. And, and then there's, there's another thing he does that we talked about last week is he actually has a, a bunch of animals, which, you know, maybe don't mean a whole lot to us, but back then that was essentially walking piggy banks, uh, walking, walking wealth that you could move with you. And he sends uh, wave after wave after wave of these, these symbols of wealth and actual wealth as 
an appeasement offering to his brother. And, and this is a, a powerful verse in, um, we, we read last week um, in verse, uh, chapter 32, verse 20. He says this, um, And you shall say, Moreover, your ser- servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. These are signs of genuine repentance. Um, now, being a father, I will say that there have been moments in, several moments in my life where I have experienced the opportunity to help bring peace to a dysfunctional relationship in my own household. Occasionally, I'm not going to name any names, kids, it's all right. Occasionally, there are s- conflicts between children and I know I'm probably the only family that has that problem here, but uh, I don't know about you, but I was raised in a, in a family where you have to deal with this relationship problem with your sibling, and so I remember even my parents telling me, you, Dan, go apologize to your brother Andy, and I would go to him and I would say the magical words, I am sorry, and then my brother would say, and I forgive you because he knew that was the right words to say. And this is something kind of culture is like, go say you're sorry, go apologize, I apologize. And, um, you know, there's something really fascinating about that. Um, The words that are spoken sometimes are supposed to be magical, and so the, the, the relationship is restored and reunified automatically once those magical words have come out of your mouth. Well, we all know that's silly because oftentimes you're standing there and you are gritting your teeth. You know what you did was wrong, but you don't really want to admit that it was wrong. But because mom and dad are standing there with the rod in their hand, you, under compulsion, are saying the words you're supposed to say. Now, is that genuine? Is that genuine repentance? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That is false repentance. And so... Um, you know, and we all know it. We all know it. Um, so I, w- I would suggest genuine repentance is going to have some of these other elements to them. You're going you're gonna to have humble words. You're going to have a humble demeanor. There's going to be something about your body language that is communicating, not just the mere verbal affirmation that I am sorry. What does sorry mean anyway? Do we ever say that in a nice way? It means I am genuinely sorrowful about what I did. Okay, do kids even know what sorry means? I don't even know. I don't even think I knew what sorry meant. It's just the, the word you say to your brother when you want to obey your parents, you know. Um, but have you reconciled? Have you really repented of what you've done? And you've, you've caused a rift in the relationship. And Esau knows he has caused a rift in his relationship with his brother. He is genuinely at fault. He has connived against his older brother. And he knows he needs to make a payment for that conniving. And that's why he has sent this gift. It's not, it's not manipulation. It's not manipulation. He knows that he owes his brother big time. And he is genuinely repentant. So we've talked about the fear of the Lord, genuine repentance. And I, I want to talk about genuine forgiveness. Because there's two sides to the relationship, right? Um, what do we notice here about Esau as he's, as he's received these gifts and, and he's, he's looking 
out there towards his brother who's limping towards him. What does he do? Does he stand there and wait for his brother to get all limp the entire way and bow and limp and bow all the way until he's standing before him? Think of it, 20 years. It's been 20 years that he's been seething on his, 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 his little brother's wretched ways. No. What does he do? He runs. He gets up and he runs to his brother. And, and he, he takes a hold of his brother and you can just, you can just see his beard and just tears coming down his face and they're just they're holding each other and they're weeping and everyone's kind of embarrassed because these are like you know they're crying grown men crying but what a beautiful picture i i've there's no other picture like this up to this point in genesis and and you just see this this something that was broken has been restored something that was that was bent has been made right and everyone can see it physically in this moment where there's tears just pouring down their face. Um, and it's interesting, the next thing that they talk about is, is Jacob says, now what do you mean by all these animals that you've been putting forward? I know you said they're for me. What's going on here? I don't really need your animals. And this is a test, guys. This is a cross-cultural thing. Is like, okay, do you really mean to give me these as gifts? And, and Jacob says, yes, please, take these gifts. I know you don't need them, but if you are going to f- forgive me, is basically what he's saying. If you really forgive me, you're going to receive these gifts because I know I owe you. And he insists, no, you take these animals. And if in that moment Esau wanted to hold that grudge and wanted to stay bitter at his brother, he would have not accepted those gifts. But because he accepted the gifts. It was a sign that he was also accepting his brother back into a good relationship together. That's genuine forgiveness when we accept the person's humble apology to us. Now, can there be false forgiveness? Yes, I forgive you. Yes, yes, you're forgiven. Nothing's changed about my disposition towards you. I'm not more hospitable towards you. It's not just words. It needs to be demonstrated in actions of acceptance. And even if they're not perfect, accepting whatever the other person is bringing to you in their repentance. So, uh, yeah, what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with uh, the good news, the gospel of Jesus? Um, when we understand what God has done for us in Jesus and reconciling us to God, we are empowered to love our enemies and pursue reconciliation with one another. Um, scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are dead in our sins and trespasses and we are actually called children of wrath. That means God looks at us and He's angry at us because of the sin that we've, we've done to Him, that we've offended Him with our lives, our our disregard for his commands, our unthankfulness towards his many gifts that he's given us. But listen to this. This is, this is a powerful scripture out of Ephesians, or uh, Romans chapter 3. This is Romans 3, um, verse 21. It says this, um, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That word propitiation is not a word we use every day. Uh, The Old Testament word for propitiation is atonement. Atonement is the exact same word that Jacob used here when he talked about sending a gift to his brother to appease his brother. He knew he had sinned against his brother, and so he was going to send something to satisfy him, to, to, to change his brother's disposition towards him, to know his, his, his uh, repentance was genuine. And so it's, it's, it's awesome because this is like, if, if this were the end of Genesis and we just saw the lights go down and the, the curtain come down, we'd be pretty satisfied. We'd be pretty happy with this, this reunion moment between Esau and Jacob because it's, it's, it's representative of what God wants to do as, as reconciling us to him and us reconciling with one another. Um, and I want you to know, uh, church, that God has accepted you. God has accepted you because he has accepted Jesus' blood that atones for your sin and my sin. Um, one of the interesting things that I didn't realize until I was studying this, and it just got me so stoked, was um, when Jesus was telling the parable of the, the two sons, the two brothers, who the older one has, has asked, or the younger one has asked for his inheritance early so that he can go squander it on, on reckless living. He, he's at a point of his lowest point in his life, and he, he realizes, my father He'll be gracious to me. Maybe he'll let me work for him. Maybe he'll let me be one of his slaves. And so he makes his way back to, to, the, to his home. And his father could have righteously been sitting there waiting on his porch for his son to come all the way up and bow seven times and show homage. But what does the father do? Those who are listening to Jesus would have picked up on this right away. The father gets up, caring very little about his own dignity, and runs to his son and embraces him and brings him in and he says kill the fatted calf my son was dead but now he's alive he was lost but now he's found this is what God has done for us and accepting us in Christ Jesus this is the the picture people would have had they well yeah I know what that reconciliation looks like I know what that means when Jesus said that um God has accepted you and I because of the atoning work of Christ you and I could never have paid for our sins. Um, so we are a community that has been reconciled with Christ, and we are to work towards reconciliation with one another. I don't know about you, but sometimes the body of Christ can be messy also. We have this dysfunction inside of us, and God's taken care of our sin problem, and he's removed the power of sin, but we still will we'll sometimes be at loggerheads with one another. And this is, this is something that, um, I tend to shy away from engaging other people when they've offended me. I just am going to kind of pretend that it's not there. I'm going to stuff it. Maybe wait 20 years, see if it goes away. Uh, it doesn't, typically. Um, and so, you know, I would challenge you. Uh, if there's something with, that you have against your brother, God speaks to us very clearly in his word. 
um, about how we're supposed to deal with it. And, you know, I'm just going to read. This is what Christ said to his people. He said, um, when your brother sins against you, this is in Matthew 18, verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Just go and tell him. Don't talk about him. Don't go talk to other people. Go tell your brother his fault between him and you alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take two or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Just bring a couple trusted people, people that are going to be objective and be able to arbitrate between you. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever is bound, bind, you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. God wants us to have reconciled relationships with one another. Um, he does not want us to have a false peace. He does not want us to have a surface level unity and harmony. And, you know, this is something I'm still growing in. This is something that I, I, I know God wants me to grow in. And he's faithful to give us opportunities throughout our life to be willing to speak into each other's lives. That's something that we all need. And I would invite you to do that in my life. Um, I have a couple of brothers I meet with regularly to, to ask me hard questions and to, to be able to expose those things that need exposing. Um, that's what we're in this community for. This isn't just a club. Uh, and... Uh, Another verse that I would really encourage you to read is out of Colossians chapter 3. It's where Paul says to the church in Colossae, he says, um, if any of you have any uh, grievances against one another, forgive it and, and bear with one another, showing kindness and gentleness. It's something we all need to learn. So I watched my father walk with his father in spite of all the, the pain and sorrow that my father experienced from his father. I saw my dad really love my grandpa. I remember visiting him at, at the hospital. He, he was given just a couple years to live because his, his liver was so affected by his alcoholism. And, and yet he lived on another 15 years. And so my dad would continually pursue him, showing him love and kindness and patience, uh, welcoming him into our home, taking care of him when he was helpless to take care of himself. And um, all the way up to his beth- deathbed, at, at which point my, my grandpa Bob finally did repent of his sins and, and, and come to Christ in faith. And so I look forward to seeing him in heaven. And, um, you know, I remember asking my dad just a few years ago, actually, I asked him, Dad, how did you forgive Grandpa Bob all the things he did to you, all the things that he did to hurt our family? And, and he told me, actually, my, my parents were saved kind of in the Jesus movement era. They were kind of hippies for Jesus. And he was part of a community. And he says it was in the midst of just an intensive time of him confessing his own bitterness to God in front of them and then just praying for him intensely. And God just allowed him to forgive his dad, even without his dad being repentant to him. And, you know, you really can't have a reconciled relationship until both parties are ready to engage in that kind of heart-level reconciliation. And, and, and sometimes maybe you're one of the party, you want to repent, but the other, the other party isn't ready to forgive you. Or maybe the other party is ready to repent to you, but you're not ready to forgive them. Um, 
if, if you're in the position where the other party has offended you, but they're not ready to repent, um, I heard a pastor say it like this, you know, take that forgiveness that you have for them and just wrap it up like a Christmas present and put it by the front door, ready for them, waiting for them to come and restore the relationship. And I thought that was some pretty good, some pretty good advice. So just a few practical uh, questions as we, as we leave today. Um, Brothers and sisters, do we seek genuine reconciliation with other people or just surface level reconciliation? Um, do we look for just a quick, comfortable fix to just get it over with? Or are we willing to go through the difficult process and conversations? It's uncomfortable conversations, not really something we enjoy necessarily. Wake up in the morning thinking, oh boy, I get to have that conversation with that person today. Um, but as we close today in in our worship time together, I would just ask you to ask the Holy Spirit, who is it in my life that I need to have an uncomfortable conversation with? Uh, whether me confessing my own faults or speaking to them about an area that they've offended me. Um, do you avoid pursuing reconciliation because of fear? My prayer for us today that we would fear the Lord above all things. Not fear man, but fear the Lord. Remember that Christ has covered your shame and guilt with his blood, and he has made atonement for you. And remember this, that when people encounter God's forgiveness in our life, they see God's face. This is something that Jacob says here. He says, when I saw your face, Esau, it was like I saw the face of God. Isn't that amazing? My prayer is that God would see, people would see God's face in our lives as we seek to pursue reconciliation in a world that desperately needs reconciliation. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we so thank you for we thank you for the the ransom that was paid for us, Lord. And the reunion we're going to have with you on that day when you make all things right on this world, Lord. And I know in this room there are deep, deep wounds. There are deep places that others have wounded us. Maybe parents, maybe siblings, maybe people who used to be our close friends, Lord. I think of how you were on the cross and you said, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. God, it's hard to forgive people. It's impossible to do it from the heart unless you do a miracle, Lord. So I pray for a miracle of reconciliation, Lord. Um, I pray for your people here, Lord. If there's any that, that need that, that prayer from the community here, God, I pray that they would pursue it, Lord, even after the service, Lord. Um, help us to be honest, if we haven't truly forgiven someone, if, if it's just been a, a facade or we did it because it was maybe forced upon us, Lord, help us to be truly forgiving and, and to keep forgiving, Lord, when those feelings come up again. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, minister to your people today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can do it.